Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning. Um, that thing is just so like upbeat and just rocking. Sorry, I have my own little like dance moments up here. Fortunately, you don't get to see them, fortunately. Um, anyways, so today we're going to be wrapping up our Love Dates Heartbreak series. Uh, over the course of February, we've been diving in. And so much of the series has really been built around two different myths that come in and seek to derail us and undermine our relationship decisions in the very relationships that we, we hope to foster and to develop. And uh, today I want to kind of just tackle the challenge of the fact that this is the last message. And in preparation, I was like, man, there's so many things that when you talk about relationships, how do you cover it all? And, um, and so I, I thought a great place to begin actually is the weirdest job I've ever had. Um, I don't know what the weirdest job you've ever had is, but um, I've had some strange ones over the course of my few decades of life. And some of them I've really enjoyed. Some of them have almost killed me. Uh, one of them, for example, was one I got when I was in college. Uh, there was a, a national kind of farm management company. And my undergrad was in kind of biology, chemistry area. And, and this job paid really, really good money. I mean, like, like at the time, like back in the day when, you know, 50 cents would buy something, um, it paid 50 cents an acre. And I would have thousands of acres that I was responsible for. And so the, the idea was this uh, farm, like large-scale industrial-sized farms, would pay this company um, to kind of oversee and to monitor their thousands of acres of individual crops. And so uh, they would hire what's called a scout. And a scout would be specifically trained and focused on one specific crop that that farmer had. And your, your goal was every single week in some really rural areas, you would basically... Uh, babysit these crops, pay attention to what's happening in the crops, around the crops, when, when did they pollinate, how long were they pollinating, I mean, all these intricate details. And um, so every single week, thousands of acres, 50 cents an acre, you can kind of do the math. For a college student, like, I was like, man, I am wealthy. This is amazing. What it meant, though, was that oftentimes I was in the middle of a field that was miles from any humanity at all by myself wandering around in farmland and um, specifically during the pollination season where there's this window of time where the specific crop I was overseeing had three days to be pollinated and you'd watch it go from white to red the flower would actually change after it was pollinated which was really helpful for me to check um, but bees were the ones that pollinated them now, I'm allergic to bees, like EpiPen allergic to bees. So as you can imagine, me running through a field, screaming to the top of my lungs with no humanity for miles around, convinced I'm going to die, I'd have to go back to the paycheck and be like, is this really worth it? But one of the things that I loved about that job, as strange as it was, and as much as I screamed to the top of my lungs um, regularly, the thing that it taught me was that farmers had a different view of the world than I had. You see... Farmers were willing to pay this company a lot of money that in turn paid me money to count the number of aphids, which are really strange little bugs that would crawl on the underside of the leaves. 
They would pay me to count the number of pollinations that were happening within that specific crop. They would pay me to count the number of stink bugs that were present along the perimeter of these massive fields. And every week I'd have to submit this report. And what they were doing was that these farmers and this farm management company understood that these little tiny details could have huge ramifications on the harvest if not dealt with. And so oftentimes if I noticed certain types of weeds growing or if I noticed there was a section of the field where the plants were only two feet tall when they should have been four feet tall at that point, what would happen is my report would end up causing massive pieces of equipment to be brought out to that section of the field um, in the middle of nowhere and fertilized or treated. And kind of reflecting back, and even as I've processed through this passage for this week, I realized that that farmer's mindset of understanding how a little thing today can become a big thing tomorrow actually has a surprising insight when it comes to relationships. In fact, one of the wisest men who've ever lived, a guy named Solomon, actually picked up on that. He wrote it down in a book that I'm going to probably guess most of us have never read before. It's a book that's um, in what's the Jewish uh, portion of the the Bible that we call the Old Testament from a Christian vantage point. Um, It's a book that, in fact, in ancient Israel, little boys and little girls were not allowed to read from this book because it was so, um, it had some uh, adult undertones to it, to put it that way. It was was a book called the Song of Solomon, and it was... Not necessarily a song, it was a collection of love, love poems that were dedicated and devoted to like all the full facets of romantic love. And it is at points so explicit that it really was not okay for little boys and little girls to read it. Um, some of you are now going to be like, I have never read the Bible, but I'm going to find that book and I'm going to read it this week. Because you kidding me? That was in there all along. I never knew that, Right. The Song of Solomon, when you start to read it, you realize, oh my goodness, they're not talking about pomegranates or grapes, are they? Oh my, and like as an adult male, I still blush when I read this book because I have studied this book and it is very, very mature. Fortunately, I'm not going to be walking through those sections today. I'm going to walk through some other sections of this book. In fact, just one of them. Um, This one passage at the beginning of the book that I think sets the tone and gives us a framework for how we can unpack today this Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks final message. The passage in Song of Solomon 2.15, it's already preloaded in your message notes. Um, In the middle of this love poem, there's this, uh, this passage, this call out, this command. And it says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. If you were to read chapter two, you'd notice this verse kind of jumps out. It's a little different. It's actually a command. And even in some of the kind of nuances of it, it can be almost confusing. But when you travel back and you realize a farmer's mindset, you actually see the the ingeniousness of what Solomon has just done here. See, throughout the Song of Solomon, throughout the book, the vineyard, the garden, is used as a, as a figurative expression of their relationship. Sometimes it's a figurative expression in the grand sense of the romantic relationship, and sometimes it's a, a very explicit visual for a very specific portion of their relationship. And, but the vineyard is kind of that kind of anchor point that's used over and over throughout the book of Song of Solomon that captures the relationship. And what Solomon is doing in this moment, and 
is interjecting a piece of wisdom. You see, in ancient Israel, and not even in ancient Israel, you can actually, in other, um, in other kind of writings around the same time period and later, you can see references to foxes and the damage they have in vineyards in ancient writings. Foxes would come in and they would nip at the buds and the grapes that would cause the vineyard to not kind of produce what it's supposed to be producing. And so one little fox coming in at night while you're sleeping could destroy your harvest. And that this tiny little creature could wreck financial, economic, and, and kind of destroy your livelihood. Because at that point, you would be depending on your vineyard to make your, live, to make your living. And so Solomon's using this kind of commonly known nuisance that people have to make the point that just in the same way that a fox can come into a vineyard and ruin a harvest, there are also relational foxes that can come in to our vineyards and destroy our relationships too. And in order to kind of consolidate this, I actually turned the word foxes into um, kind of an acronym or acrostic to, so that we can have a kind of a common discussion around some of those typical foxes. I recognize that there are probably as many foxes in real life as there are in our relational life that could destroy it. And so I can't catch them all, but I want to help us catch a few of them. And to do so, I've created this little foxes across it. And you'll see it in the message notes of F and blank, and you can kind of type it all in as we go through or write it on the back. <coughs> the first one is finances, families, and calendars. That's the, the first little fox that creeps in. This is the, the fox that's really boring because it's the one that just kind of happens underneath the radar. One of the things that frequently causes couples to fight or causes tension is the issue of finances. Whether it's a, a large amount of debt that's brought into the relationship that wasn't discussed beforehand, whether it's the financial purchasing decisions of, oh, you bought a car? Don't you think we should have talked about that first? Right? I don't care that it was a used car. It was still a car. Right? I mean, like these financial dialogues or, you know, typically in a lot of relationships, you have a saver and you have a spender. Right? And they're usually in battle with each other unless there's conversation. One who loves to swipe and one who wants to take that swiping ability away from, you know, like, hey, I looked at the credit card statement today. How was Chipotle? twice or how was best buy okay you know like the amazon has destroyed a lot of relationships because they've made it easy to click and buy and ship and so finances are one of those things that oftentimes can become a fox it's small it's this low temperature grade frustration that hovers in the relationship but that fox nips at a lot of buds that ends up robbing life and one of the things in the message notes is I put a book, and you're going to see that I've got a lot of books listed in the resource section of the message notes. And none of these books are perfect, okay? But I'm a reader, and so I just wanted to give you access. If today, during the course of this, you're like, oh, that's our fox. That's the one who's literally eating our grapes. Then um, I wanted to give you at least a starting point, a name, a book, that you can start to Google, to, to, even if it's just finding the YouTube videos, so that you can start to find freedom and trap these foxes that come and destroy. Dave Ramsey's a kind of a famous person um, in that financial world, and you may not agree with everything he says. I don't agree with everything he says, but Dave Ramsey approaches the conversation of finances, I think, in a way that's helpful for dialogue with couples. 
Because reality is, is it takes money to live. It takes money to eat. It takes money to buy everything. And so if you don't have kind of a, a dialogue about those finances, it will develop into a fox who will eat you alive. Another thing is family. I don't know um, if you've experienced this, but we, we have a six-month-old, and so we're in that season of just life is kind of being overtaken by this small little 17-pound bundle of joy who, with, who ex- really exerts a lot of influence over our lives. And so this little tiny being who, who oftentimes can hijack our, our week is one of those, I think, can become a little fox. Now, I wouldn't tell him I'm calling him a fox today, but I'm going to tell you he's a fox, okay? And here's why he's a fox. Because a lot of times when we go into our relationships, you start off, right, and you're like, oh, you're the most perfect thing ever. Oh, you're the most perfect thing ever. And then you get married, and then life starts to play out, and then all of a sudden it's this proverbial car wreck, and then a kid shows up. And you used to go to bed together, you used to just cuddle because you could, and it was happy, and now it's three in the morning, and you're angry because the kid is crying, and he needs a diaper to change, and the bum beside you hadn't done anything. And you're like, why did I marry this person? (coughs) And um, in the course of that, like, these little fox moments start to sneak up. Life happens. One of them just happened in front of you. So this week, um, well, last week I got sick, and... um, in the reaction of having bronchitis, my body overreacted, and I developed asthma this week, okay? Never had asthma my entire life. I now have asthma as a response to getting sick. Why am I telling you this? Because that asthma became a little fox this week because we're trying to sleep train a six-month-old. The same week that my body decides it wants to develop asthma, right? And so here I am having trouble breathing, and my wife is now having to shoulder a lot more of the burden of sleep training than we initially would have planned it. And so now she's exhausted. She's getting in the bed. She's tired. I'm coughing because I can't breathe. And, and so you just kind of move into survival mode. What happens when you move into these crazy seasons, whether they're short because of sickness, whether they're longer because it's a season of life with a kid, or whether it's you know, job transitions is a lot of times seasons around family come in and become foxes. And the reason why is because oftentimes we move into seasons of life and we're still operating the way we used to operate in the old season when it was just two of us. And now the expectations I had for when it was two of us doesn't play out when it's three of us or four of us. Or when we were both just getting started in our careers and the expectations we had and now We're shifting into a new season. And these seasons of life can cause us to, because we're still operating on an old mindset, they end up becoming foxes. And you see it show up when one of of the members of the team is shouldering more of the weight than they ever shouldered before, and it just kind of happened by accident. And no one said anything. It's because you just kept trying to survive. And now one of you is carrying more weight than the other, and you just kind of keep throwing rocks on the other person. You don't do it on purpose. So say, well, I've got got this project this week, or, oh, you know, this is my season when it's really busy. I'm an accountant. You know how it is. And that worked for years. But now you're in a different season. And you haven't had those conversations. And now the person who's getting the rocks dumped on them starts to feel more and more like they're being neglected or overlooked. 
And again, I recognize that I'm stepping in landmines as I'm running through this thing. There's a great book called Life in Rhythm that I've put in the message notes that just helps you to kind of capitalize on every season. One of the things that we say in our house a lot because of the seasons of life is that this is not a life sentence, this is a life season. There will be a period of time where this thing changes, where this shifts, and in a blink of an eye, we'll be in a new place. And let's, let's make the most of this season while we're in it so that we don't look back and regret it or miss out on it. Another one is calendars. Um, one of those low-grade foxes that happen in relationships is when people aren't in sync conversationally with their calendar. And it robs. You know, oh, well, you didn't tell me you were going to come. You're, you're not coming home tonight? Well, well I, was, I was making dinner. I, I thought we were dinner. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you that. And in our household, the calendar is an important thing. I don't know about your household, how that plays out. But in ours, right beside our refrigerator is the master's calendar. It's my wife's. And on that master calendar is everything. Family, work-related. So that we don't fall into the trap because it is never a good thing on the day of to say, oh, I forgot to tell you, I'll be gone for two days. See you later, right? Like those, those are not good moments in the relationship because rarely ever do they come in moments where the other person's like, oh, great, good. It's okay that you didn't tell me. I have nothing going on and so I'm really free. So take three days, why don't you, right? <coughs> and in our household... It's so funny that even my wife, um, my daughter, has noticed how important the calendar is. So when I was going through a little bit of a stressful season recently, my daughter said, Daddy, I think what you need is a calendar. And so she, with her own money, bought me a calendar because she thought it would help me. And so she was like, Daddy, this one looked perfect. It's called Goats and Trees. And every month (laughs) are Goats and Trees. I was like, thank you, pumpkin. This will totally fix all of my problems in life. And so this sits back there and fixes every problem I have. And yes, are you curious? Can you get 12 months of goats and trees? Yes, you can. Sometimes they're the same goat in a same tree. But these people stretched it. It's wonderful. Thank you, sweetie. I really appreciate it. Um, right, and so, but like my daughter has even learned that like a calendar can make a difference. And so even this week, February break, her and my wife would sit down with their little day planners and they would say, what's our most important thing to get accomplished today? And they would write it in their little day planners together. Okay? And that sounds ridiculous. But I'm telling you, in, if you ever hope that those pomegranates in the other place plays out in your real life, I'm telling you, sometimes the way to that happening is through the calendar, through coordination, through conversation. That, as it's been said, like, oftentimes romance begins in the boring rooms of the house around the boring conversations in the house. And that these, these little details, the, the family, the, the calendars, those finances, those little foxes can sneak in and rob you. The O is overlooking past hurt and pain. And this is really two different things. There's the distant pain, and then there's the, the, the recent pain. The distant pain are those things that happen prior to this relationship. I know sometimes we get told the past is behind you. The past is not behind you. Unless you've dealt with it, it's inside of you. Your past is in you. It's not behind you. And unless you've dealt with it, it's still with you. And that most, 
it, it's, it's really tragic that many relationships are undermined because of choices and decisions from previous relationships creeping into them. The way that they used to, you know, the, the way they used to talk to you, the, the things that they used to say, the way they undervalued you, the way they minimized you, the words they said about you and the way they made you feel, all of that comes into and spills into this next relationship. I've watched people destroy relationships because they're still reacting from the first relationship that almost destroyed them. And that if you don't deal with it, it's still with you. And that the good news is, is that every single day on planet Earth, planes take off filled with baggage. And your relationship can still work, even if you have baggage. But the far, it's far better for you if you're willing to take the work to work through your past so that you can leave it behind you. There's a book that, um, again, not perfect, but it will start to help you kind of dig some of that up. And it's one I put in the resource notes called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And a lot of this is, it kind of just gives you a framework to realize that sometimes the past that's in you is the way that your, your parents parented you. Sometimes it goes way, way back. And that you're still playing out dynamics because most of us don't realize that growing up, you absorbed a default. You didn't even realize you were absorbing a default, but you did. And the way, you know, it was just recently, uh, there was a friend of mine who was like, you know, my dad, my dad didn't go to therapy because uh, he had just broken up with one of his, um, his ex-girlfriend. And she said, you need to go to therapy. He was like, my dad didn't go to therapy. I'm not going to therapy. I'll do exactly what I watched my dad do. And he's like, I go to Home Depot when I have problems. And it was like, that was his thing. Now, it was funny when he said it, but I'm like, oh, my goodness, that dude's default. He never even thought about it. It was just he watched his dad not deal with conflict. And so his dad would go to Home Depot, get something and come home and build something. And so oftentimes what you witness growing up is now what you've implemented and what you play out when you have conflict, when you're dealing with stuff. And so family of origin stuff matters, and emotional, healthy spirituality kind of helps to push that out. For some of it, it may be, it's not distant, it's up close, and it's personal. It's unresolved conflict and arguments. It's maybe you had it on the way to church this morning. Maybe you had it last week, or maybe it was a month ago. But it was something you didn't deal with then. And it's just been sitting there simmering. And you haven't resolved, and you haven't pressed in and you just kind of ignored it and if you're not careful that becomes a pattern and that just that starts to form bitterness and that that bitterness doesn't go away it eventually becomes a poison that actually starts to kill the plant and that one of the foxes that really does slowly erode relationships are just the buildup of unresolved undealt with Conflict and pain and hurt. Because what happens is confrontation becomes attack. The argument dissolves into personal attacks. And then you go cold. And you come back a few days later and you act like it didn't happen. But it still does and it's still there. And so you've got to deal with it. One of the best pieces of advice Two pieces of advice that I would give you in the midst of this to how to trap those little foxes is one, if you've got a problem with your relationship, do not talk to someone else about it. Talk to the person about it. 
People are like, oh, I talk about my... No, are you talking about the relationship problems with the person you're in the relationship with? Your coworkers and your family members don't need to hear how sorry he or she is. You need to give them an opportunity to be able to utter the nine words that can change a relationship regularly. And so I had this mentor of mine, and he had a mentor who was like this internationally just wise, sage kind of guy. And one, one day he was unpacking for them. He's like, boys, let me tell you the nine words that will make your relationship strong. And so this is my mentor giving me this Yoda advice. He says, here's the nine words. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And at first you're like, nine, okay, those are nine words. You're like, oh, ha, 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 oh, man, that's funny. But the longer I live, the more I realize there is so much wisdom in those nine words. One, first of all, the heart attitude it, 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 that's required to be able to say those words. To be able to take a step back and to say, I was wrong. To see where you were wrong. The humility to acknowledge the fact that what you did was wrong. And to ask for forgiveness. There's, there are some things, okay? There are some things where there just needs to be boundaries, right? If you're in a relationship and you're emotionally and physically abused, I am not advocating for you taking that, okay? You can still love someone in a really hard place and call the cops on them. All right? I'm dead serious. But outside of the extremes, I have found that those nine words can unlock and unleash something that transforms relationships. When people realize that you genuinely are sorry for what you did and you can own it and name it, you can start to unlock healing. That people are willing to give forgiveness if people are willing to ask for it. And it really can transform your relationship. Some of the most powerful moments in me understanding how much my wife loves me has been when I've said, sweetie, I am so sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And in that moment, with all the pain I know that I've caused her, she says, I forgive you. And then she doesn't hold against me what she could. That's powerful. And forgiveness done well fosters love. I'm not advocating for a lack of boundaries. Those things are important. But I'm saying that for some of us, we're still walking around with grievances from things that we haven't forgiven. That was a conversation three months ago that your spouse hasn't even thought about. And they were an idiot when they said what they said. And they're an idiot that they don't realize that they even said it. But you're walking around every day still nursing that little grudge. And you need to have that conversation. Because it's a fox destroying your garden. The next one is E, which is expectations. And when I say expectations, I mean unsaid and unmet. Because unmet and unsaid expectations are often at the core of people's frustrations with one another. He never calls me. He never texts me during the day. You know, she never considers me when she's making plans. And it's like, well... Have you ever told them that's what you want? Have you ever voiced those expectations in that relationship? 
Have you ever said, hey, I'd like for you to check in during the day. It makes me feel loved and wanted. Like, you know, from my wife, I mean, this is just kind of letting you into the Causey household. I have to be told in schedule on my calendar to periodically check in. Why? Because I'm an idiot. Yes, that's correct. But because when I, like, I get into my world, I get into whatever I'm doing, I'm reading, whatever I'm thinking, and I get sucked into it, and I, the, I forget the world exists. You can walk by me in a coffee shop, and I would not know you or the world is even present. I just get sucked into it. And I'm like pounding it out and trying to get stuff done. <coughs> and for me, my wife being able to say to me, hey, it means a lot. I have this expectation that I know you care, and I know you're thinking about me, but I want you to share it with me. And that's been really helpful in our relationship. It's a small thing, but that little fox was, was nibbling at our grapes, and I didn't even know it, because I'm a little different than she is, which is part of one of the sources of expectations. You need to have dialogue around them, but one of the things that, that happens with expectations is that oftentimes they, they emerge out of how we're wired and how we've been made. Things like our personality types and the type of personality you have is probably not the same type of personality of the person that you're, you're dating or you hope to one day marry. And those, those dynamics sometimes play against each other. Personality types have different expectations. And unless you voice them, they will remain unmet and unsaid. And oftentimes, they become the source of frustrations. And that this isn't just around personality needs. It's also around these things called love languages, which can be really helpful to understand in relationships. This idea that every, every person has ways that they receive love and ways that they give love. And there's five ones. I don't have time to unpack all five, but I've put a quiz um, to help you identify yours. And it kind of expounds a little bit of what those five are. Chances are the person you're, you're dating or the person you one day hope to date or marry or are currently married to, their love languages are different than yours. And so what happens is, let's say in my household, there are two females in my household. Both of their love language, number one, is quality time, which means they love to sit and spend time. They love conversation, dialogue. Quality time is like my number five. It's the thing that I would only do if I had absolutely nothing else in the world to do. Sitting around and just talking has no appeal to me. I think I would rather cut my fingernails with, with a scorpion's claw, okay? Like, I just don't sit around and be like, oh, let me just talk about my feelings. Not my, like, not my wiring, which is okay. Like, mine is like, you know, like words of affirmation and physical touch. Man, if you rub my head, tell me I'm doing a good job, I feel loved, right? Like, and that takes like three minutes. It's so efficient. But for my wife and for my little girl... Quality time is how I show love. And so if I'm not careful, what's going to happen is I'm going to do what I like to have done to me, which will leave us relationally, not just in the romantic sphere, but in any sphere, will leave you feeling distant from one another. You say, I don't feel like we're connecting. I don't feel like we're like, you know, I just, I feel like we're distant. If you've ever felt distant, even though you're geographically in the same place, oftentimes it's a love language thing. If everything else is good, it's a, you're a quality time or you're a, like a, a gifts person or an act of service. 
And that these, this, this love language quiz is free, but I'm telling you, it can be really helpful for your relationship because two people who feel loved are a far better couple than two who feel like they're missing something. And so it's a free, I put it in the message notes for you. Expectations are one of those things that I, I think we could spend all day talking about because expectations will show up at your house as you get serious about the relationship. They're called your in-laws. Okay, like you need to learn how to engage the expectation conversation, because if not, you will find yourself constantly frustrated. That the last one is selfishness. Selfishness is probably the biggest little fox that sneaks in. It, it nips, it, it robs. Selfishness is is almost without saying self-explanatory, but it's essentially a focus on me instead of a we. That I prioritize the me, and, I, and in prioritizing the me, I neglect the we. And I think that part of the challenge for selfishness is there's this dynamic that plays out in a lot of relationships that makes this hard. Typically, you'll have one person in the relationship. This is not always true, but you'll see this play out some. One person in the relationship who's pretty good at being selfish. But it seems to work because the other person is really good at being selfless. Okay? And so right now, if you're sitting here like, well, this is clearly not a fox that we have an issue with, just hold up. Because it might be. It just may be that you're in a relational dynamic where you're the selfish one, and you just happen to be with someone who's selfless. And what happens is this is a little fox that robs you of the relationship you could have. And it blindsides you because you think you're not selfish. Because you have someone who is equally as selfless as you are selfish. And it serves you well. You think it's the greatest relationship ever. Because you get to do all these things and things are going well. And you don't even realize that like there's this person over there drowning. And the, the sad part to this, this little fox is that most people just think this is how relationships are supposed to be. Well, because why? Well, because, you know, I'm supposed to be about us. I'm supposed to be selfless. And most of us have a poor understanding of what selfless is. See, selflessness is not the same thing as consistent, less and less of self. See, you can focus on the we without it being a detriment to me. And when you have two people who are in a healthy selflessness, kind of posture with each other. The me does not get neglected. And simultaneously, the we doesn't get neglected either. Like if we had a master's class on the side, one of my, um, one of, in grad school, one of the courses I took was sexuality counseling. And we would kind of work through how to help couples deal with all aspects of relationships. And this is one of those areas where you, you watch it really play out in that, that sphere especially. And because we aren't really good at understanding selflessness at all. So if you've ever flown, you'll notice that right before you take off, they're like, if you're traveling with a small child, make sure that when the oxygen mask straps, that you put it on yourself before you put it on the child. And this is what I think picture of selflessness looks like. It means that you're covering your basic necessities. You have emotional, physical, like if you're not breathing, you can't help anyone is what the airplanes are trying to tell you. If you're dead, 
You're not a really good assister to the small child beside you. So selflessness means that both of you understand that there are some requirements for you to be a whole, healthy, functional human being. And that you, you meet those things. It may be exercise. It may be a certain type of things that you need in order to feel emotionally, physically, spiritually recharged and alive. That you do those things first so that you have the margin to show up in your relationship, to listen, to invest, to, to dialogue, to, to, to absorb. Because there's a lot of give and take in a relationship, but it should flow both ways. And if you're in a relationship dynamic where the giving is only going one way and the taking is only going one way, then you're probably in a situation where there's one being selfless and one being selfish. And again, if any of these foxes are jumping out at you and you want to talk more in depth, I will be at starting point. I'd love to set up a time, have coffee with you, a phone call to help you unpack it more. But understanding selflessness and how that fox of selfishness is a really important one. Now, and I recognize that as I've worked through this acrostic, that some of you have been really irritated with me because I've missed one. Some of you have been like, you've got F and O and E and S, but you missed the X. And I did that on purpose. Because what I told you at the beginning is at the end of the day, I don't know all the foxes. I don't live in your garden. You do. And so X marks your spot. What's the fox in your life? What's the foxes that you've seen in your relationships before that come in and that rob and that steal and that undercut the relationship that you, you deep down inside want to have with your significant other? That's your fox for you to write down. And if you're not sure how to deal with that fox, I'd love to help you. But I wanted to give you space today to identify what could be robbing you from what you could have too. Because Solomon's call and charge is that little things can have a big difference. And that principle isn't just in the negative. It can also, I think, be in the positive too. That little things can have a big, big impact. Kissing, holding hands, hugging, not so that it goes somewhere, but just, just to simply show them that you're already there with them. Those are a little thing that goes a long way. It says, you're the only one I'm looking at. You're the only one I want. Those things matter. Because, if, I don't know if you've noticed, but relationships tend to be really good at revealing all your insecurities. Like you thought you were confident and stable and sure of yourself, and then all of a sudden you're over there and you're like a middle schooler again, like with a daisy. Like, do they like me? What do they think about me? And you, you feel all those things. It just bubbles up all the insecurities. And so these little things go a long way. When you're 5, 10, 15 years into marriage and you don't have all that youthfulness that you used to have and you just need to be reminded, like, I still think, girl, I still think you're pretty. I still think you smell good. Or you're still my man. Even though you have no hair on that head, I still think you're the most handsome man in the world, right? Like those little things go a long way. The complimenting, the saying thank you, the gratitude, noticing what they do for you and for the you plural that you guys have. It should be a regular habit that you say thank you. Hey, thanks for making dinner tonight. Hey, thanks for picking up my dry cleaning. Hey, thanks for 
making that call and getting that appointment for us. Hey, thanks for booking vacation. Acknowledge the little things they do that make you plural possible. Celebrate that. Practice their love language. Surprise them with an act of kindness. You should know what your significant other's favorite candy bar is. That sounds stupid, I know. But show up with the candy bar. Like, I, I have an Evernote file where I keep track of the things my wife likes. What kind of coffee she likes. What does she want in it? Not what I would want in it, because if I ordered her coffee, she would not drink it. But I have this little Evernote file. And if I think, man, she's in a chocolate nutty mood today, this is what I'm going to get for her. If she's in a I want sweet and caffeine mood, I like this is what I'm going to get. Keep track of those little things because it goes a long way when you show up because it says, hey, I was thinking about you. You matter to me. Another small thing that can go a long way is to, to hold back the good news before you share it with anyone else. Share it with them first. When something good happens to me, I don't tell anyone else until I tell my wife. It's small. It seems silly. But what my wife gets in that moment is all my emotional energy around that good thing. And she feels an emotional connection. I'm like, hey, this happened today. I don't tell anyone else until I tell her. Because what happens relationally, right, is that typically we end up giving the best away and we give them the rest when we come home. And this is one of those intentional small ways of saving the best so that they don't just get the rest. Of kind of bankrolling those little moments that were the ups and the downs of the day so that when you get home, you can get to live them out the first time with them. And these little things make a difference. And one of the best things I think you can do, no matter where you are, whether you're in that place of singleness and you hope one day to be married or whether you're married and you've been in it for decades, is to have a picture of who you want to grow into be relationally. That throughout our marriage, one of the best things, because I didn't grow up in a dynamic where I feel like I had this, so I had to figure this out. And God's graciousness to me was that I've always had someone in our lives who was a picture of where we wanted to be and where we wanted to go in our lives. So for every single season of our marriage, we've always had a mentor. We've always had a, a living picture. And... And so every year, my wife and I take a retreat with a group of these people. And there's this one person who leads it. And they're the picture of who we want to be when our kids are adults. And the way that they care about one another, the way that their family has played out, and the way that their kids have thrived. And <clears throat> if you don't have a mentor, um, I would encourage you to find someone. It may be awkward sitting down from that couple, but I'm telling you, most couples would probably enjoy it when they say, look, we don't have a picture, but we think we want to grow up to be like you. Can you help us? Can we periodically have dinner with you? Can you give us some of your wisdom? Because the beautiful thing about a relationship is that what's placed in your hand is a hammer. And you can, even, you can either build something that's amazing or you can tear each other down. And it's one of the few things in, in life that you get where the rest of the world doesn't have anything to do with it. It's all on you. And that can be overwhelming and that can be intimidating and it can even lead to moments where you feel like you're just completely failed. That no doubt in the midst of all this series, what you've heard with love dates has really been about the heartbreaks. 
You're like, great, this is really helpful, Chris, but those foxes, they, they destroyed everything years ago. I don't have anything left for them to destroy anymore. So this would have been great 10 years ago. And I recognize that for some of us that we're living in that place of pain, we're living in that place of regret. And my encouragement to you is that when you take a, a step back from the Song of Solomon book, you realize that there's a grander storyline. But why is there a book called Song of Solomon in the Bible in the first place? It's because God cares about love. Why? Because one of the central truths of that entire storyline of Scripture is God is love. He is the source. He is the originator. He is the definition of love. And that the biggest storyline of Scripture is that there has been a broken relationship. That there is a disconnect relationally between us and Him. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but, you know, you don't have to sit a toddler down and teach them how to disobey. Right? You've never had to sit a toddler down and say, okay, all right, little buddy, today I want to teach you how to not listen to me when I tell you to do something. I know this is going to be really hard. I'm going to tell you to go over there, but instead of going over and doing that, you're going to go this way instead. Okay, you got that? All right, let's practice. Go over there. No, don't go. No, go that way. Remember, you're supposed to be not listening to me. Right? We don't have to teach disobedience. What do we have to teach? We have to teach obedience. Because we're born knowing how to rebel. We're born knowing how to disobey. We're born knowing how to relationally disconnect. The relational connection part is the harder one. And that the central storyline of Scripture is there's a God who in the midst of our spiritual disconnected from us, pursued us so that we could be relationally reconnected with Him. That He, through Jesus, paved the way, paid the price. Earlier when I was talking about forgiveness, all of you who are in that place right now, you felt what's inherent in every moment of forgiveness. Whenever you forgive someone, you are paying the price. You are paying the penalty of what they did. That's why we naturally don't want to give forgiveness. Because we want them to pay for what they did for us. We want them to feel the pain that they caused us. And when you forgive someone, you're saying, I'm going to write that and I'm going to cancel that debt against you. And that the God of the universe, the one that we rebelled against, stepped into humanity and through the cross paid a penalty and wrote down our debt and gave us forgiveness. And the good news is that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you will ever do, there is a God who relationally desires to reconnect with you, to restore you to what he created you to have in the first place. And then in doing so, the life that begins to flow, the relational connection this way, doesn't stay this way. It starts to flow into every area of our life. It starts to seep into these relationships and this kind of plane, not just this one, too. And so people <coughs> who find themselves in hopeless places and barren places where they feel like there is no garden left, finds that there's a God who can bring life, who can cause things to flourish and grow. And that no matter which season, no matter which box you would check right now, there's a God who desires to check the box with you. And in checking the box with you, and restoring you, that he brings with him hope and love and peace and joy 
that can transform every relationship that you find yourself or hope to find yourself in. That that's the good news. That's the beautiful thing about love. Is that God who is love has created us to be conduits of love. And I would encourage you, if that's your journey, maybe today your first step is to take that step towards him. To be relationally reconnected. And even as we sing in a few minutes, just to say those nine words in your heart to him. And for some of us, it may be that as we sing a song in a few minutes, just for us to take a step back and say, God, my my marriage feels broken. I feel hopeless. But maybe you're bigger than I thought. Maybe who you are is greater than what I realized. And would you step into my situation? For some of you, it may be that you need to carve out more time, and I would encourage you to sign up for worship and communion night next Sunday night. If you've never come, it's, it's, 90, it's 70 to 90 minutes of just heaven unleashed, hope. And the one next Sunday night that we're having here is really centered around us beginning to move towards that place of joy and peace that he created us to have. And you can sign up for that in the app or even swing my starting point. But the God who we serve desires to bring life into the garden that you live. And today, as that Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. Let today be the day that regardless of where we find ourselves, we plant a new, fresh, living vineyard that transforms the relationships that we find ourselves in. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.